Well, good morning. It is good to gather with you again this morning. And uh, Andre alluded to this earlier. I presume you are well and, uh, and well in the Lord and well rested. I tell you, do if your family is anything like mine, those fallback Sunday, they're just, they're like a little treasure. I mean, we just treasure those fallback. It's like, oh, yes, an hour. Literally, it is like that. Like the evening comes and we're like, yes, yes, yes. We gain an hour. And so we were just uh, so thankful. And, you know, I don't know if it's allergies or a little bit of a cold, but I've been fighting something. And so I went to bed early as it was, and then even earlier because of the hour, and so I am just thankful for that, uh, for good rest, and for good rest in the Lord, and, um, and I'm excited to be here with you this morning. Take your Bible, please, and turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 11. course, we're working our way through the Gospel of John. And uh, chapter 11 is, records, I think it's fair to say, safe to say, probably the most outstanding miracle that Jesus performed, that he did during his earthly ministry. Um was is the the resurrection the raising of Lazarus from the dead and chapter 11 that's really the highlight of chapter 11 and it points forward we've talked about how that points forward ultimately to the death and resurrection of Christ and so we'll see here we'll see how people are responding to this miracle We'll finish chapter 11. We're going to begin at verse 55 of chapter 11 and then move right into chapter 12 through verse 11. So beginning at verse 55, we read, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus, And saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let him know so that they might arrest him. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And so they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made, of, made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And he said this not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. 
and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. And when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So reads the word of God. Let's pray. God, our high and holy and heavenly Father, we again come before you with glad and grateful hearts. We're particularly thankful today for, for the gift of the church, for the fellowship of believers, for the oneness we share in Christ, by the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the gift of worship that we can gather as one to glory in your name. And when we sing these songs and we think of the myriads of angels who worship you night and day and we read the accounts of the 24 elders bowing down before you, casting their crowns. When we remember that one day, soon coming, we will join them around the throne, our worship today seems all too short. But we thank you for it, and we pray that you will continue to enliven it and indeed enliven our hearts. Make our souls to be your home. That we may express our love and devotion here as we will one day do there. So we bless you through Christ. Come now and speak to us through your word. Please, God, would you give us ears to hear, to hear your voice, and to answer your call. This we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. I want to consider with you this morning the, the subject of devotion. Devotion can be defined as love and loyalty to a particular person or activity or cause. Uh, for this reason, I, I don't think it's hard to identify devotion. When it comes to devotion, we know it when we see it. It's because it's more than love and loyalty in the general sense. Devotion speaks, I think, of specific, even enthusiastic love and loyalty. I love sports, but I'm not devoted to sport. 
I am a fan, but not fanatical. Sport fanatics take fandom to a whole new level. Turn on any football game and you will see grown, adult, presumably mature. I'm sure in their other lives, they're normal. You will see grown men and women in the stands expressing themselves in ways they probably don't even think of in other contexts of their lives. Costumed and with bodies painted in the colors of their favorite team or with the number of their favorite player, go out to their car and you will find bumper stickers and license plate holders uh, that declare their team's name and colors Uh, their logo, go into their homes and you will discover entire rooms decorated to the hilt in team memorabilia. We celebrate it. We call them man caves. Literally thousands upon thousands of dollars, not to mention the uh, exorbitant amount of time invested in the object of their devotion. Or maybe you've heard about the school teacher in the UK who is devoted not to sports but to Star Wars. And I know we have some Star Wars people here. You can't hide. Peter Highgate is his name. He not only had a Star Wars-themed wedding, but also named his two daughters after characters from the film. So we have Emily Rose, Princess Leah, and Bethany Violet Skywalker. Another fanatic, Luke K., also from the U.K., He amassed a collection of Star Wars memorabilia valued in the millions of dollars, including 22 life-sized figurines he personally recreated from the films for his home. Now, I like Star Wars. I loved it as a kid. I had all the action figures, play sets, Honestly, I wish I still had them. If I knew then what they're worth now, I wish I still had them. I enjoyed the original trilogy. I specifically remember standing in line for Return of the Jedi. Honestly, didn't care much about episodes one, two, and three. I'll probably see episode seven, the new one, when it comes out this Christmas, but frankly, whether I see it in the theater or at home as a rental, I just don't care. I'm so sorry, Dave. Dave will be there opening night. He will be in line, and I love my brother. I love my brother. I do love my brother. It's not just sports or Star Wars, it's other things too. The truth is most everyone, most everyone is devoted to something. 
Maybe it's work or career. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's a cause you believe in. Whatever it is, your devotion is what drives you. And devotion is evident and obvious in today's passage from the Gospel of John. In John chapter 12, we see a woman whose devotion to Jesus Christ is on full display. As chapter 11 flows into chapter 12, we notice a stark contrast between the animosity toward Jesus on the part of the chief priests and Pharisees, the religious leaders, Start contrast between that and the deep affection for Jesus as evidenced by Mary and her siblings, Martha and Lazarus. The Jewish authorities want to destroy Jesus, literally, but this family is devoted to Jesus. They believe in Christ. They give themselves freely, fully in worship of Christ. And Mary's expression of pure devotion has served as an example of this from that time to this present day. truth is, we are free. Like her, we are free to give ourselves in devotion to the Lord because the Lord freely gave himself for us. And so I want to just walk through the narrative. I want to consider it with you and, and, and observe some of this interaction. And then, and then I want to maybe close with some thoughts about how it might speak to us today. It's Passover. It's one of the great feasts in the Jewish calendar. Chapter 11, verse 55 says, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. I'm sure you know this. This is the Passover at which Christ will be crucified. We'll read here in a bit. It's six days before the Passover. So it's, it's the Saturday before Good Friday. So the final countdown to the cross has begun. So just days away. Jerusalem's packed with many, many people. Many, many people are making their way to the city, specifically to the temple. They are preparing for the Passover, and yet they're aware that something else is also going on, something significant. It, it seems that word has gotten out. The tension between Jesus and the chief priests and Pharisees had crescendoed, and everyone knew about it. The authorities had let it be known that if anyone saw Jesus or knew where he was, they were to report it immediately. They wanted to arrest Jesus, a mere formality, of course, because ultimately they intended to kill him. Jesus is a wanted man. Uh, there are 
essentially there are wanted posters posted all over Jerusalem. And everyone is on the watch. The people are looking for Jesus and talking about Jesus. They're wondering aloud if he'll show. What do you think? What do you think? They say to one another in verse 56. Will he come? Will he risk it? Will he risk coming at all? And then with the start of chapter 12, the scene shifts from Jerusalem to the town of Bethany, about two miles away. Bethany is where Martha and Mary live, along with their brother Lazarus, whom Jesus had just recently raised from the dead. No small thing, obviously. No small thing. And so they're just incredibly thankful, as you can only imagine. And they, they give a dinner in honor of Jesus as a simple but very, very sincere way of expressing their love and gratitude. Martha served Jesus. She was doing her thing and, and seemingly loving it. Lazarus reclined at the table with Jesus, enjoying his company. And then at some point in the evening... Mary disappeared to another room before returning with a jar of expensive perfume. And kneeling before Jesus, she proceeds to pour the perfume over his feet, anointing his feet and wiping his feet with her hair. You can just try to picture it. We usually, think, we usually think of God anointing us, don't we? To be anointed by God, we'll pray sometimes. We'll pray for God's anointing. To be anointed by God is, in a way, to be uniquely touched by the Spirit of God. It's... It's God pouring himself out on you, but here, in a symbolic way, Mary is pouring herself before the Lord by anointing his feet and his head as well, according to the parallel accounts in Matthew and Mark. Mary is expressing pure devotion to Christ. It is an excessive display of devotion. I want you to see that. It is excessive. She worshiped without restraint. It was extravagant worship. This pound of pure nard was worth at least 300 denarii, uh, according to Judas in verse 5. A denarius was about, uh, it was about equivalent to a laborer's wage for a day, meaning that this one jar of perfume was very, very expensive. I tried to crunch some numbers. And if my math is right, at today's minimum wage, we're looking about $80 per day multiplied over 300 days, which equals roughly $24,000. Or about $2,000 an ounce. So this isn't the stuff you can go down to Macy's or Nordstrom and just pick up a bottle. 
In fact, the nard mentioned here is an oil-like perfume extracted from the root of the nard plant. Apparently, it was, it was grown just in India, which made it all the more difficult to come by. And yet Mary poured the whole bottle, as far as we can tell, the whole bottle out upon the Lord. She is lavish. She is unrestrained in her worship of Jesus. And she's recorded in the word of God to serve as an example for us. We're going to talk more about this in a bit, but for now, I just want to ask, I want you to be thinking about how would you describe your worship of God? And if we were, if someone was to record, to write down what your worship entails and how it looks, how would it look? Would you characterize your worship as extravagant, lavish, unembarrassed, unreserved, I think sometimes, not all the time, not all the time, but sometimes those who run in theologically conservative circles are uncomfortable with displays of worship. Clapping your hands, lifting your arms, bowing your body. We're much more reserved, typically. I think sometimes we fear being too showy or lacking decorum, but Mary's expression here is showy. And it reminds us, maybe even awakens us to the beauty and wonder of a life that is unreservedly devoted to Christ. Mary's worship was Christ-exalting. She humbled herself before Him and didn't seem to care what anyone else was thinking. She bowed at His feet and she wiped them not with a towel, but with her hair. crossed all lines. This crossed all lines of social acceptance in that culture. The hair was considered a woman's glory, and it's my understanding that it was taboo for a woman to unbind her hair in public, especially in the showing of affection. It's taboo. So you may remember there's a scene in Luke much earlier than this where a, a, a prostitute does essentially the same thing. Jesus is having dinner with a Pharisee and a prostitute comes and anoints his feet, the feet of Jesus, and wipes them with her hair, with her tears. And the prostitute is all up in arms. I'm sorry, the Pharisee is all up in arms. How can you let this happen? So this has crossed all lines of social acceptance, but that, I think, is the point. I think Mary 
was choosing devotion to Jesus over social acceptance. She was acknowledging, if, if it's true, if, if, if the hair is considered the woman's glory, she was acknowledging the glory of Christ by offering her own. And the whole scene is a celebration of, of Christ and of Christ's great worth. Martha served Jesus, Lazarus reclined with Jesus, and Mary anointed Jesus. But not everyone celebrated. We read on and we learn that Judas didn't. Beginning in verse 4, Judas criticizes Mary, Mary's extravagance, and in a roundabout way, if we read between the lines, he's even criticizing Jesus for allowing such extravagance. Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor, he demanded. And on one hand, his question is understandable and even legitimate in a society where the poor were present almost everywhere. And signs of poverty were everywhere. It was excessive and seemingly out of place even to own such expensive perfume probably seemed out of place. But to empty the entire flask, a whole pound at one time, that went beyond the pale as far as Judas was concerned. But John clarifies the objection. Judas wasn't really interested in the poor, only in lining his own pockets. Judas was a thief. He was the treasurer of the group, and he often skimmed a little off the top for himself. So his criticism of Mary was simply a smokescreen to mask his own selfish ambition. Leave her alone, Jesus said in verse 7, and then verse 8, for the poor... You always have with you, but you do not always have me. Not that he is unmoved by the poor or uncaring, just the opposite. God is a defender of the weak, a helper to those in need. Jesus himself, throughout his ministry, was often among the poor, right? He was among the needy. He was always among the outcast, it seemed. And the followers of Christ, if you, if it, you just do some history, if you know history, the followers of Christ or the church of Christ throughout history, it's been the church that has typically led the efforts to help care for the poor and needy in places all over the world. So it wasn't that Jesus didn't care for the poor. Uh, instead, he's saying, you will always have opportunities to care for the poor. The implication is, and you should. But you will not always have me. You will not always have the opportunity to worship me like you can right now, right here. So, Judas, you leave her alone. 
leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Now, this is an interesting statement. I think it's important, very important, and I think it's somewhat difficult to interpret. Jesus defends Mary, even commends her lavish display by wanting her, notice, he wants her to keep something, something specific, some it. He wants her to keep it for the day of his burial, which is now just mere days away. And so what was Mary to keep? Well, she had just poured the perfume. She'd emptied the bottle, so clearly that's not what she's supposed to keep. Instead, it seems that Jesus wants her to keep the motivation that led her to pour the bottle, or what I would say the faith that led her to pour that perfume, the gratitude, the joy, the humility, the desire for Christ. Jesus wants her to keep her wonder and worship of Christ, and that he wants her to keep it for the day of his burial, maybe suggests that he's not only commending her behavior, but the faith that's behind it. For after he's died, and while his body lies in the tomb, Mary, in those moments, Mary is to keep her faith. She is to keep her devotion to Christ even when everything around her would have her give up and lose hope. I think it's something like that. I am heading to Jerusalem, Judas. I will die there. But as I've mentioned before, I will rise again. And though you value money more than you value me, Mary doesn't. Well, you try to mask the sin in your heart by some vain showing of concern for the poor. Mary is revealing the love in her heart by showing concern for me. So you leave her alone, Judas. You back off. Mary has chosen what is best. Let her keep it. And the scene shifts again. In verses 9 through 11, the camera pans out from the house and what's going on inside the house to what's going on outside the house in the town of Bethany and the surrounding region, even back in Jerusalem. This growing crowd of people heard that Jesus was in Bethany and they began to come and see for themselves, not only to see him, Jesus, but notice also to see Lazarus whom Jesus had just raised from the dead. And when they saw, when they saw Lazarus, when they saw that Lazarus was alive, just as they had heard, and when they saw Jesus sitting there with Lazarus, they believed in Jesus and by placing their faith in him, not the chief priests. Again, we have this contrast, not them, Inexplicably, they remain hard of heart, and their plot to kill Jesus remains intact. In fact, their scheme grew even more sinister for having seen Lazarus and the effect that Lazarus was having on the people. They made plans to kill him too. Now, 
Why does John include this account? I mean, he says at the very end of his gospel, he says, Jesus did so many more things. I just can't write them all. He says, all the books in the whole world couldn't contain it all. And so, why this? Surely it's more than just a historical record of what happened. I think it's a call to action, specifically an appeal for faith, a call to believe in Christ, just like everything else that John writes. But it's more than a call to believe, I think. I think it's also a picture of what belief looks like, what it entails. You see, belief in Christ presupposes love for Christ. Love for Christ should stir our devotion to Christ. And devotion to Christ leads to the worship of Christ. Mary's devotion was full and fragrant. Full in that she held nothing back. This flask of expensive ointment was perhaps the most valuable thing she owned. And yet she freely chose, she gladly chose to pour it out in love for Christ. However much that pound of perfume cost her, whatever its worth was paled in comparison to the worth of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has won my heart, you can almost hear her saying. And I will give him the love and devotion he deserves, for he has been so very good to me, and he has loved me more than I have ever known or ever will know in this world. He has ministered to me and my family in ways I previously thought impossible and unimaginable. Indeed, he is the resurrection and the life, just as he said he is, and he he is worthy of my all. I will hold nothing back. I will keep nothing in reserve. Oh, how can I express my love for Christ? How can how can you How do you communicate, express, reveal your devotion to Jesus? What does your worship, what does your worship of Christ cost you? What are you willing to give up or give away in pure devotion to Christ? 
Are you? Are you? Maybe you're not. Are you holding back and hanging on to lesser things? Or are you letting go, not just of your money or material things, but are you pouring yourself out in loving response to Jesus? Just pour, here I am, pour it all out. What are the barriers that keep you from being more devoted to him? Mary was all in. She was all in in her devotion to Christ. Not in moderation, but in abundance. It was on full display, full and fragrant. Fragrant in that the expression of her devotion filled the entire house. And the scent, the scent, we still smell it today. Mark's account of this scene, he quotes Jesus as saying that Mary has done a beautiful thing for me. Mary, Jesus saying, Mary has done a beautiful thing for me. That speaks to her worship. The expression of her devotion to Christ. And then he says, Jesus, he says, truly I say to you, Wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Mary's worship of Christ testifies to the beauty of Christ even today. In other words, her witness was marked first and foremost by her worship. It wasn't the other way around. Her witness was marked first and foremost by her worship. It's her worship. That's what Mary is known for, her worship, not her witness. The witness is the result of her worship. It's her worship that's the hallmark of her testimony. What do you want to be known for? A good teacher? Good craftsman or woodworker? Someone good at business? Good athlete? Good musician? Good artist? Someone good at design or photography or writing or speaking. Maybe a good parent or grandparent, a good friend. You want to be good in ministry? I do. I want to be a good husband to my wife and father to my children. I want to be a good friend to my friends and, and even to those who aren't my friends. I want to be a good pastor for you, for my church, a good preacher of God's word. There are many areas in our lives where we want to grow. We want to grow in Christ and bear fruit for Christ, right? Do, don't we want to do that? We want to grow in Christ and bear fruit for Christ. But listen, before we can bear fruit outwardly, we must have roots that dig deep into the rich soil of pure devotion to Christ. Too often we aim too often I aim, we aim for the outward results. We strive for outward things without giving sufficient attention to the inward matters of the heart. When all is said and done, I want to be marked by devotion to Jesus, uncalculating love for Jesus. I want to express that love 
at the feet of Jesus, like Mary did, in humility and to the exaltation of his great worth and, and his great work in the world. I want the sweet aroma of Christ to fill my heart first. Then my home. I want it to fill my church and all my relationships. Like Mary, I want my life to be a full and fragrant offering to the Lord. I want to be known for my worship of Jesus. I want my witness to be marked by my worship. There is a man who worships Christ. Don't you want that? you do we want the fragrance of our worship of Christ to fill the places we go for we are the aroma of Christ and maybe our worship doesn't look exactly exactly like Mary maybe it's more like Martha we worship through our service we serve well. Maybe it's like, like Lazarus, or better yet, probably a combination of all three. Mary's known for anointing Jesus. Martha's known for uh, serving Jesus. Lazarus, known, <laughs> Lazarus is known just from being raised from the dead. Now we say just. That's really all we know about this guy. But isn't that all we need to know? That's his testimony. He received new life from Christ. Now, isn't that our testimony too? What Lazarus experienced physically, we have experienced spiritually before Christ came to us. We were stone cold dead in our sins, lost and without hope. And then... It's like Jesus was standing outside the tomb and the voice, his voice, the voice of Christ came over us and called us forth. By the grace of God, we're called out from death into new life. And like Lazarus, we've been unbound and set free. And when people see us just as they saw him, they should see the presence and power of Jesus Christ upon our lives. We are trophies of grace in this world to testify, that testify to the glory of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's not just in what we say or do, but it's in being who we are by the grace of God. But then there's Judas. You know, the other accounts, Matthew and Mark, the other accounts say that all the disciples took issue with Mary. That they, they were all questioning her behavior. But Judas, or I'm sorry, John singles out Judas 
I think there's reason for it. Because in Judas, we have a, an example of someone who is wandering away from Christ instead of worshiping Christ. We know Judas as the betrayer of Jesus, but, but, but what I want us to remember, and maybe what John wants us to see, is long before Judas betrayed Jesus, he had already drifted away from Jesus. Judas was very close to Christ in terms of proximity. He was a disciple. And yet he was very far from Christ in matters of the heart. He pursued sin more than he pursued Jesus. And here we see something of the progression of sin that leads us away from Christ. Please listen to this. Judas began helping himself to the money bag, which to him probably seemed like no big deal. Just a little sin. A little sin, a little thing in his estimation. No one will know the difference. Just take a coin here and there. Just a little thing, a little sin, as if there is such a thing. But the problem with little sins is that they always, always, always lead to more sin. Always. And before long, we're entrenched in sin. We are a slave to sin. That's essentially the story of the priests and Pharisees. They illustrate just how deep our sin runs and how destructive sin is. You see, when a person chooses the path of sin as they did or as Judas did, it isn't long before they are fully in its grip and swept away by its current. Next thing you know, yeah, I'll betray him. 30, 30 shekels? All right, you got it. So this morning, are you worshiping Christ? Or are you wandering from Christ? I don't think there's really any middle ground. And so we just need to ask ourselves, am I worshiping Christ? Is my life one of worship? Or am I wandering from Christ? Maybe very, very close to Him. I may be doing Jesus stuff. But I'm, in matters of the heart, I'm drifting away. the difference between devotion and destruction. And so the people in Jerusalem were preparing to sacrifice the Passover lamb in commemoration of God's deliverance from slavery 
And as they're doing that, the Lamb of God is preparing to give his life to free us from something much worse. Slavery to sin and its consequence of death. You see, the gift of Mary to Christ, as great as it was, and it was great, the gift of Mary to Christ cannot compare to the gift of Christ to Mary. However we express our devotion to Him cannot compare to His expression of devotion to us. Whatever our worship entails cannot compare to His work on our behalf. We love Him only, only, only because He first loved us. And because He loved us and gave Himself for us, East Parkway, let us love and give ourselves to Him in devotion that is full and fragrant. Amen. God, thank you for the time in your word. Make us to be more like Mary and less like Judas. Would you convict us? Conviction is such a gift. Conviction of the Holy Spirit is such a gift. Would you convict us? Convict our wandering hearts. We know how prone we are to wander. Would you bind our hearts to yourself. Make us worshipers of God more and more. Free us, God, to worship. Free us. Help us to be expressive and extravagant. Help us to be sacrificial and humble. And may the aroma of Christ be known by all with whom we meet. To the glory of your great name and for the good of your people, we pray. Amen.